There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Cancun, Mexico this week, where I'm enjoying a little rest and relaxation after hosting a wonderful gathering at my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, and now getting to use my Spanish and Portuguese here. It's great gobs of fun. <laughs> this program is all about helping people more create more meaningful and productive personal and work lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose to elicit passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I converse with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. In these weekly conversations, it is my intention that you derive value you can immediately apply to your personal and work lives. So I'm asking you to listen in from that vantage point. And it is my fervent hope that you come alive with the possibility of living with passion, working on purpose, and seeing just how big and fulfilling your life and work can be. And if you do catch fire, as I like to say, I do not want to leave you without a support line. Your call to action then is to contact me via email at elise at elisecortez.com or use the contact me feature on my website elisecortez.com to message me. Tell me how I can help, whether you want to join the distribution list to stay informed of these radio show topics, you want to learn about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community, or you want information on your my purpose-driven leadership programs for individuals or companies. We'll get you taken care of. Back to the content. If you missed last week's program, you can always catch it live or catch it recorded by podcasts, excuse me. We created a special holiday program with guest Elizabeth Fournier, get this, an undertaker and the owner and operator of Cornerstone Funeral Services, where she is affectionately known as the Green Reaper for her green burial advocacy. And she's from, from Oregon, by the way, Angela. So with <laughs> and purpose, just before Thanksgiving, we talked about how the inevitable event of death can stoke a tremendous sense of purpose across our lives, how she chose her career as an undertaker and sees it has her true calling, and the role of gratitude and how it shows up in a life well-lived. I promise you'll find the content provocative, Elizabeth herself to be the most zesty undertaker you might expect to encounter, just a delight. With us this week is Angela Langlotz, an intellectual property owner, special excuse me, property attorney specializing in online trademark and copyright issues. An entrepreneur herself and having marketed products online for over 10 years, Angela is acutely aware of the unique issues that online marketers face with regard to domain name issues, copyright issues, and cyber squatting. We'll be talking about how entrepreneurs can protect and monetize their ideas. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. Angela, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much, Elise. It's wonderful to be here. Isn't it great? Isn't it amazing what happens when we're out and about in the course of our normal everyday lives and we meet like you and I did at a women's gathering, not really a networking event, but gathering and found out we have all kinds of things in common, including that we've lived in Brazil, speak Portuguese, speak Spanish, speak Italian. Um, I think you've got French too. It's amazing. It's just crazy. So welcome. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, it was uncanny, all of the similarities between us. I think we met by divine appointment. <laughs> I love that. We were we were meeting on purpose, Angela. Exactly. Yes, it was a very on-purpose meeting for sure. 
Well, we didn't get a chance to talk much about it that evening because I got so engrossed in the idea of having you on the show. But I want to start with just talking about how you got into the business that you're in. How did you become an attorney and why this particular space? What's the story? Well, I became an attorney by going to law school. Ha ha. Uh, (laughs) That's usually how it happens. But when I first started my practice, I was practicing business law and estate planning. And while it was really interesting, I really didn't like the whole business of having an office and having to commute to the office and I really wanted to change what I was doing so that I could have a business where I could work from home. Estate planning is sort of a touchy-feely, hands-on kind of practice Uh, People really want to sit across the desk from you when they're talking about their very important, um, you know, personal matters about, you know, what's going to happen when they die. And and, um, it's not really a good fit to have a law practice from home and have that sort of practice. And uh, at the time, my husband was a patent attorney and he said, listen, why don't you come work at home? He had a home office practice. And he said, why don't you, you know, come home and you can run the trademark practice. And so that's what I did. And when we divorced in 2012, I went out on my own. I left him that practice. I went out on my own and started serving entrepreneurs. And I love what I do. And I work at home. I don't have a traditional law office. And this sort of practice where I'm serving business owners, especially online business owners, they are not at all bothered that I do not have a physical office. I've had very few requests uh, to meet in person. Usually people here in town, you know, sometimes they ask for a meeting and that's fine. I'm happy to meet with them. But most of my clients don't live here in Dallas or even here in Texas. And they are comfortable doing business online and sometimes you know they've usually met me from my videos I produce a lot of video content so you can find me online on Facebook and also on my trademarkdoctor.net business website so people see me people kind of feel like they know me already so they're happy to trust me with their important branding and copyright issues. That is a brilliant strategy to get yourself to market, Angel, and one that we're already learning from you. Thank you. And before we get into the actual content itself, and because I am a meeting and work researcher myself, and I think it's a nice way for us to to help our listeners get better acquainted with you, what do you love about the work that you do? I love the freedom that it affords me. I can run my law practice from anywhere with an internet connection. And when I was living in Brazil, I ran my practice from Brazil. I'm not sure that any of my clients knew I was outside the country (laughs) or or would have cared had they known. But the wonderful thing about the practice that I've built is that I'm free to run that from anywhere. And now I'm also creating um, self-help products for people who either don't want to hire an attorney, can't afford to hire me. They can take one of my online classes and learn what they need to know about trademark law or copyright law and how it applies to their business. So I love the freedom. I also love being a leader. I love teaching and training and telling people what they need to know in ordinary English instead of the legalese that some attorneys seem to delight in using. I don't know why they do it. Actually, I do. I think they like the idea that 
they know things that other people don't. And it's true, I know things that other people don't, but I'd prefer to share it with them (laughs) so that it can be, my knowledge can be of some use to them. And if I'm talking over people or talking down to people, that knowledge transfer doesn't happen. So I like being a leader. I like being a teacher and transmitting the knowledge that I have in a way that people can comprehend. The other thing I love about what I do is I love helping entrepreneurs. I get really excited when I hear about a new business that one of my clients or prospective clients is starting. And I I just feel really jazzed about what they're doing and their new product or their new idea or their new brand. I just really get a lot of satisfaction from helping them. Mm. It is so powerful when we can connect with what it is that really enlivens us about our work. So thank you for sharing that so crisply. That was great. Okay, well, let's talk shop now. (laughs) So so I am very, very interested and intrigued with the work that you do. And there's lots of reasons for that, in part because I'm now starting to situate myself as being somebody that you could actually serve. I am creating content, I'm creating products, etc. So let's talk about in protecting intellectual property in general. So first, for all of us, my benefit included, what kinds of protection are available? Well, there are three general types of intellectual property. There's trademarks, copyrights, and then patents. So I'll, some people get them mixed up. So I'll go through each one. So a trademark deals with your brand identity. It helps people associate your goods with your company. So it's um, a brand name or a slogan or a logo. It can actually be anything that distinguishes your goods and services from other people's goods and services. So that's a trademark. A copyright is used to protect any creative work that's reduced to some kind of tangible medium. For example, it may be used to protect a blog post or a video or a poem or a short story or um, an architectural plan or a photograph. So basically anything creative can be protected by a copyright. And then there are patents which protect useful inventions. And there's also design patents too, but that's a little esoteric. I'm not going to go into that. So that is the difference between the three types of intellectual property. That was great. Thank you, Angela. Now, where do service marks fit in there? Service marks are basically trademarks that are applied to goods. So there's really no difference functionally between a trademark and a service mark. It's just that technically speaking, when a mark, a trademark, is applied to a service, it's sometimes called a service mark. I like to use the word trademark for everything just because it eliminates the confusion around service marks and trademarks. And in fact, it's perfectly fine if you want to use the TM uh, symbol next to a, a trademark for your services. That's perfectly acceptable. Okay, great. This is great. Okay, now I'm wondering if there are any certain industries that tend to need more protection than others. Well, um, online entrepreneurs, their property seems to be particularly susceptible (laughs) to theft. 
part of the reason. And, you know, when you infringe somebody else's trademark or copy their work, whether you give them attribution or not doesn't matter. If you're copying somebody else's stuff, it really is a form of, of theft, right? So the reason why online art entrepreneurs are so susceptible to this is because we put everything out there online and copying is rampant <laughs> in part because the, well, there are a couple of reasons. People don't understand that you can't just copy. Even if you give attribution, it's, it's, not, um, it's not acceptable to copy from a legal standpoint, to copy somebody else's work without a license to do so. And the other thing is the internet makes it really easy to just, you know, scoop up somebody's work with the mouse click and paste it someplace else. So it, it's really easy to copy things and people don't realize that they don't have the right to do it. So online entrepreneurs are very susceptible to the theft of their intellectual property. Okay, this where it gets really interesting for me, Angela, because I'm also an academic. I'm a, I'm a social scientist and a scholar, and I do a lot of research. In that community, what we do is we do attribute. We say, according to Angela Langlotz, X, Y, Z, and we attribute to, and we tell what you know, and we share it, but we always attribute to. Uh, is that different? It is different. That's actually covered under the fair use doctrine of copyright law. So if your use of another person's material is for research purposes or purposes of like, say you're doing a book review and you copy a small passage and use it for the purpose of giving a book review, that is considered fair use under the copyright law. Or if you've taken a clip, like on one of my videos, uh, I did a video about parody and I actually took a whole, the whole clip, the whole commercial (laughs) from, oh, what was it? Subway. And I used it in my video, but I used it for a teaching purpose. I wasn't using it to try to steal their idea and and use it for my own marketing. I was using their video content, their property, as an example for a teaching purpose. So that is also covered under the fair use doctrine. So when we're asking ourselves, does the fair use doctrine apply? We look at the use, we look at, um, you know, are we using, is it being used for teaching purposes or purposes of critique? And if that's the case, then the copyright owner would have a very hard time alleging or, or maintaining a lawsuit for copyright infringement when that is, um, that's the fact pattern. So, you know, people can sue for copyright infringement, but fair use is an affirmative defense to a claim of copyright infringement. Incredibly helpful, Angela. This is so great. I'm getting all kinds of stuff from this, and I'm so glad this is recorded, not just for our, our listeners, but also for me. So thank you. You're Let's welcome. grab our first break. <laughs> I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Angela Langlotz, an intellectual property attorney specializing in online trademark and copyright issues. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking a bit about the field of pro- protecting intellectual property. After the break, we're going to get into how to actually go about it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Angela Langlotz, an intellectual property attorney specializing in online trademark and copyright issues. An entrepreneur herself and having marketed products online for over 10 years, Angela is acutely aware of the unique issues that online marketers face regard to domain name issues, copyright issues, and cyber squatting. She revels in helping her clients develop, protect, and market their intellectual property assets. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, Angela, we were talking a bit about just the, the nature of the field, some of the, the, the broader aspects of it. Now I want to get more into the nitty-gritty here. Um, and let's start by talking about how business leaders can protect their business identity. I People talk, you know, they go to events like you and I met at, and they start talking about what they're up to and such. And I always wonder just how smart that is. So what can we do to protect their business identity? Well, you can register your slogans and business name and logos as a trademark that goes a long way to protecting your business identity. A lot of online entrepreneurs make the mistake of thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't have to register anything because I have what are called common law trademark rights. So at common law, it is recognized that people have the right to use the exclusive use of their intellectual property, including trademarks. The problem with common law trademark rights, however, is that they're not registered with the Patent and Trademark Office. That means if some naughty infringer wants to sneak in and register your name with the the Trademark Office, they can do that because you haven't registered it. People don't realize that the trademark examiner, when they evaluate your trademark application to see if it conflicts with any other any other brands, any other trademarks, the trademark examiner does not go out into the world to see what other people are using. Their search, as far as conflicts go, is confined to the trademark office database. So if your mark is not in the trademark office database for the trademark examiner to find, he or she will issue potentially a trademark to the naughty infringer and then you are in the unenviable position of having to go out and prove that you are the legitimate owner of the trademark and anytime I say you have to go prove just think dollar signs right just think about standing on the front porch and lighting hundred dollar bills on fire every time I say you have to prove (laughs) so one of the One of the benefits of a trademark registration is that there are a lot of presumptions in your favor. For example, there is the presumption, it's rebuttable, but there's the presumption that you were the first user of the trademark. It's You get the presumption that you are the true owner of the trademark. So there's a lot of presumptions that you get the benefit of. And anytime you have a presumption, 
it's something that you don't have to affirmatively prove. And that means you're not standing on the front porch and lighting $100 bills on fire because <laughs> you don't have to prove those things. Mm. We like that. Thank you very much. That's so interesting to hear that. So what, I'm, what I heard you say is, first and foremost, we as the entrepreneur, uh, wants we need to be able to control this whole bus, if you will. And that whole notion of getting the, 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 the name on file, what you say, the copyright office? Is that what you said? Yeah, the the trade- trademark office. If trademark. I said the copyright office, I misspoke. I meant the trademark oh. office. I think that's what I said. <laughs> sure you did. I just have got to get it straight in my own mind. Okay, so that's really interesting. Just that in of itself, the filing of it, claiming it basically, yes? Yes. So what you need to do is you need to register your trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office if you're doing business in multiple states. Some people will say, oh, you know, I'll just register a state trademark. And if you're only doing business in your state, that's fine. But just be aware that if somebody else gets a registered trademark for something similar to yours or the exact mark, you will not be able to expand your business beyond your geographic area. So people get really confused. They think, oh, well, you know, I've I've been using it in my state, so no one else can use it. But but that's not true at all. And a lot of the, another thing that people don't realize is that other people's trademark rights extend beyond their exact mark and beyond their exact goods into anything that would be confusingly similar. So if you're trying to register something and you go and you do a quick search and you say, oh, yay, nobody's using that mark, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's registrable. When you go in and do what's called an exact match search, which basically just means that you know, you've searched on your exact mark and you didn't find anything, that's not a good way to do a search. But that's the way these um, cheapy filing services like legal rhymes with boom, um, that's what they will do. They'll go in and do an exact match search And then, you know, the client thinks they're okay, but then four months later, which is about the time it takes for us to hear back from the trademark examiner, you'll get a rejection in the mail. You'll get an office action and the office action will say, we are rejecting your mark because it's confusingly similar with these other marks that are on file. And yes, you can argue against that, but in many cases, it's fatal. You've you've not done the, the proper search to begin with. So whatever you filed, a lot of times should have never been filed in the first place because of another mark that was already in the record. So I see people making a lot of mistakes about this. Um, There are a lot of benefits to federal registration, but not everything is registrable, perhaps because it's not servable. It's not servable. That's not even a word. It's not usable (laughs) as a trademark, maybe because it's generic or because it's very descriptive. So it's not registrable. Um, or because someone else is already using something similar. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. Okay, got it. Okay, well, I know I only have you for a short amount of time. Anything else (laughs) about protecting business identity before we move on to authors and creative projects? Well, people always ask me, Angela, can I use XYZ as a trademark? You know, what can I use 
for a trademark. And I'll say anything can serve as a trademark. You can use designs, you can use words, you can use sounds, you can use color as a trademark. You know, there there are people who have like the big green egg barbecue people. They have actually registered the color green for barbecues. Nobody else can make a green barbecue because they have a registered trademark for the color green for barbecues. <laughs> Tiffany and Company has their Robin's Egg Blue. It's Pantone, uh, you know, Pantone 1874 or something like that. I forget exactly what it is, but they have a Pantone color that that is their registered trademark. So just about anything can serve as a trademark so long as it distinguishes your goods and services from other people's goods and services. Okay, that that helps so much. That helps so much. Okay, well, let's talk about now authors and other creators and how they protect their work. What about them? Well, the good news is that the minute that you create something that is tangible, so anything you have something, excuse me, creative that is reduced to a tangible medium of expression, that's the the phrase that we use in, in the copyright world, it is protected by copyright. Now, the bad news is that unless you register your work with the copyright office, um, you will not be able to get statutory damages for infringement. You will have to prove, remember what proving means, proving means standing on the front porch, lighting $100 bills on fire. You will have to prove damages in order to recover for the copyright infringement. So, People make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's covered by copyright law, and they're right, but you cannot maintain a lawsuit for copyright infringement without a federal registration, at least not in federal court, um, without the federal registration, and you can't get statutory damages unless you have registered your mark before the infringement took place or within uh, four months of the the fixation, we call it the fixation, when you fixed it in a tangible medium, um, the fixation of the work, right? So you've got a limited time to register that if you want to maintain a lawsuit for damages, for statutory damages for infringement of your work. Wow. Okay. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still hanging. This is fascinating. <laughs> a lot to take in and it, all of this applies to me so far. So this is great. Okay. Um, anything else for authors and other creatives that we need to know? Well, I do actually have a course coming out. If I can plug that a little bit, it's called Copyright for Creatives and it's going to be out within two weeks. So um, if people are interested in that, they can, you know, go sign up for my, uh, my newsletter and I'll give them a special launch price. They can just go opt in at trademarkdoctor.net and they can sign up for that. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll be sending that out to my, my email list. So if they get on the email list, they can, they can get a special launch price on that. Okay, great. Well, that's great to know. And, and uh, you know, I think it's important, especially, I'm sure that a fair number of the people that are listening to this particular episode are doing so because they are creating something. They're in the process of creating. So it's great to be able to talk about your, your course. Um, okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, I, I frequently, you know, I love to talk to people. I'm a curious person, as you know. Yes. I think you are too, right? Yeah. And people are always talking about their ideas and their great inventions and what's coming next. And so then I start thinking about, what kinds of ideas need protecting? Well, just about any kind of idea um, can be protected. It depends on, you know, how susceptible is it to theft. And and people 
people sometimes want before they talk to me a non-disclosure agreement, even though whatever they say to me is protected. I, you know, I am duty bound to keep people's secrets as an attorney. But the the issue sometimes is people get all wrapped up in not wanting to tell anybody else about their idea. But I like to say ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution that really matters. I mean, people have all kinds of ideas, but unless you execute upon it, it it it's not going to do anything for anybody. So I say, just be first to market. <laughs> right. So you can actually protect your idea for a brand with a trademark. You can protect your creative works with a, a copyright, a registered copyright. And patents can be used to protect inventions. So they have to be useful inventions that are novel, meaning new, and non-obvious, meaning that it wouldn't occur to somebody else to, you know, put A and B together. But the good news is um, for patents, now patents are kind of expensive, but you can get what's called a provisional patent. And that is very inexpensive to file. It's sort of a, um, you know, if, if, the patent application is the Mona Lisa. It, this is just the sketch, right? So the provisional patent is kind of a sketch of what you're claiming patent rights in. And then you have one year from the filing of that provisional patent to actually file the f- more formal full patent application. So you've got a year to maybe do market research or, you know, find funding or, or whatever you need to do during that year. So the provisional patent process is really good for people who don't have a lot of money but have a good idea. And I encourage people who have these sorts of ideas, to, you know, to go ahead and file a provisional patent in order to protect their idea during during the period when they're getting um maybe you know funding or doing more research or fleshing out the the whole the whole idea mm, okay great got it okay well let's do this let's grab our, our last break here Angela because I want to devote the last segment of this episode to the actual money part the monetization piece so let's do that now I'm your I'm your host Elise Cortez we've been on the air with Angela Langlotz she's an intellectual property attorney specializing in online trademark and copyright issues She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. After the break, we're going to talk money. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
If you're just tuning in, my guest is Angela Langlotz, an intellectual property attorney specializing in online trademark and copyright issues. An entrepreneur herself and having marketed products online for over 10 years, Angela is acutely aware of the unique issues that online marketers face with regard to domain name issues, copyright issues, and cyber squatting. She revels in helping her clients develop, protect, and market their intellectual property assets. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So now for this last segment here, Angela, I want to talk dollars. You know, we all have this idea of, wow, we've got this idea. Now what do we do with it? And it's, as you said before, it's one thing to have an idea. It's quite another to get that idea into the hands or the use of the marketplace. So first things first, you know, some, if we talk about what needs to be considered to even start monetizing, maybe we can start with that. So what would you consider to be the steps or the major things people need to consider to even start that process? Well, first, you really need to make sure that you've properly protected your IP, because if you don't, you're just opening the door for everybody else to steal your idea, protect it, and then you're left sort of, you know, outside knocking, going, hey, hey, that was my idea, let me in, you know, um, it's always disheartening when that happens, but there are a lot of, uh, you know, People out there who don't respect other people's ideas or intellectual property rights, and they will just steal stuff right out from under your nose. When you have a registration, be it a a copyright registration or a trademark registration or a provisional patent on file, it discourages that sort of theft because people know that you've proven that you were the first one to use it or think of it or... um, use it as a brand. So it it discourages that. So that's the first thing you want to do is you want to ensure that it's properly protected. The second thing that you would like to do is make sure that you have some sort of non-disclosure agreement or uh, an agreement that says, you know, I'm sharing this with you. Um, You agree not to poach my idea. Um, And, you, you know, I'm I am busily creating courses for creatives so that they know all of these things because it's the wild west out there, Elise. People will just steal your stuff and they won't think twice about it. Well, thank you for the work you're doing because I know how much it takes to, to, to create something. So thank you for that. Um, well, then let's talk next about what's, what gets in the way then. We know that we need to protect this stuff. Now, what gets in the way or what do people encounter as problems trying to monetize an idea? Well, sometimes it's just about knowledge. Um, you know, they, they don't know what people will pay for, right? And sometimes it's cost. They don't have the money to, um, you know, get a trademark registration or, um, you know, they don't know how. Sometimes it's a combination of both. They don't know that they're supposed to register their copyright. They don't know that they're supposed to register their trademark. They don't know that there is such a thing as a provisional patent. So they think they have to come up with a bunch of money to get, a, you know, an official full, full-size patent. Um, and a lot of the problem, too, is that they don't know who to hire. So a lot of people will go to a general attorney. And general attorneys, you know, they're fine for some things. But when you get into a specialized area like intellectual property, when you go to a generalist attorney, and I see this all the time with trademark applications, they really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and they just think, oh, you know, I'll do an exact match search on the trademark. I will file it how hard can it be and then they get the rejection back four months later and then the client comes to me and says hey can you help me with this and I have to give them the bad news that you know it it never should have been filed in the first place because there was this other mark out there so a lot of it is um, 
you know, knowledge about what to do, who to hire, how much it's going to cost, how to save money on on this sort of stuff, etc. Okay, great. Okay, my next question here, thinking about this, and I'm in the same spot too oftentimes, is we get these great ideas and we think, okay, well, what do we do with them? How can we get them to market? How can we monetize them? So how are creatives monetizing their ideas, for example? Well, there's lots of ways to do it. One of the best ways is just to create an online course. People will pay you for what you know, and they should pay you for what they know, what you know. And you can protect those via copyright. Now, you can load the files onto a disk, a computer disk, and submit them to the copyright office for protection. It's a pretty inexpensive process. You can do that. You can protect, for example, your blog content. Although blog content is kind of weird because you're adding to it all the time and the copyright law kind of didn't contemplate um, the sort of material that gets added to maybe on a daily basis. So that's kind of an interesting um, thing to register with the copyright office. For your physical products, you can get a design trademark. You can get a design patent um, you can get a a copyright on your design. So there's a number of ways to protect physical products depending on what aspect of the product you want to protect. So you would get a patent if you wanted to protect the useful aspect of the product. And you can also get a design patent if you want to protect you know, a certain way the product is styled or looks. You can also get a trademark for... um, designs. And you can license the IP to others. Now, this is a great way to exploit, and I say exploit in a good way, your intellectual property. So say, for example, that you have a patent on a useful invention, but you don't have the capital to bring that to market, and you kind of don't want to get involved with the production aspect of it. You can strike a licensing deal with a manufacturer to manufacture the product and perhaps market the product. So if you have an idea, you have for a patent 20 years from the date of filing to earn money in licensing deals or what, you know, what have you from that, that idea. And there are people out there that will pay you for those ideas and actually bring your product to market. So you sit back and create collect your royalties and the manufacturer manufactures it and markets it. It's a great way to monetize your intellectual property. Mm, What a great idea. I certainly know people who have done that, but I didn't realize what was behind it and the benefits of it. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, The other thing that I think about, because I've got a couple of things that I do, I do my, my, my consulting, my speaking, and I I have a nonprofit as well. And sometimes people would ask, well, how do you decide when to charge? In this case, whether to monetize, how do we decide that? Well, you can ask, there's a lot of ways to survey your potential market and ask them about what they might like. You know, I, I do a lot of marketing on Facebook and I love Facebook in part because everybody's there, it seems like. Um, I know a lot of people are ditching Facebook over privacy issues, but it's still a great way to market something or um, find out what a potential audience is looking for. You can also go to Quora where people... Um, you know, ask questions or Reddit, Uh, Reddit, they ask a lot of questions. You can see what are the questions that people are asking and you can ask people, hey, you know, 
would you be interested in X? You know, what do you think about this product or what kinds of problems are you having? So ask people, what problems are they experiencing? What problems can you solve for them? That can be the genesis of a bunch of ideas because people will pay to have their problems solved. And that's what we as entrepreneurs are set up to do. That's what we love to do. That is incredibly helpful, Angela, for me. That makes so much sense. What a concept. Ask people what they want hmm. and would they pay for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested and I want to help now that we've been talking a lot about how to go about this and the mechanics of what's involved, the legalities of it, et cetera. Now, let's go back to the world that I love so well, and that's inspiration and also example. So can you give us a couple of examples of people who you know of who monetized an idea well and why do you think they're so successful? Well, um, one of my favorite examples is Marie Forleo. She runs B-School, which is basically an online course for women who want to start their own online businesses. And what Marie does really well is she's an attractive personality, um, not just physically attractive, but um, although she is very, very pretty. She has an energy and um, people like to watch her on camera and like to learn from her. So she's a great example. She's monetized the heck out of B-School. It it earns, you know, probably a million dollars or more a year. Another great example of someone who's really monetized his personality and his content is Brendan Burchard. He's done a lot of courses that have really helped people change their life, think about life in a new way. Um, He's done courses about how to shoot video. So basically, he's taken his whole business and broken it down into products. So he's productized his whole business. So he shoots video. He creates a course that teaches people how he shoots his video. So there's a lot of ways to monetize what we all do. And I think the most important thing is to just put out there whatever it is that you like to do. For example, I love to do video marketing and I'm really good at it and people like to watch me on camera. So I do a lot of video marketing. It's been very successful and very helpful for my law practice. And, you know, I do video almost every day on Facebook about my law practice and there is a never ending stream of subjects upon which I can, you know, expound (laughs) in trademark law and copyright law and patents. So, um, you know, those are examples of, of people who are very successful at monetizing their ideas. I love Marie Forleo and Brendan Burchard both. I think they're both doing a great job. Let's talk a little bit more about, about them. I do know of Brendan's work. I picked up one of his books years ago and thought it was quite good. I didn't realize that he had created this a whole set of offerings. That makes a lot of sense to me if everything is hanging together. So I guess the first question I would ask of him or either of them is, do you know, do they have help? Are they doing this pretty much themselves or do they have any, any help at all, any staff? Oh, yeah, everybody does. I mean, there be- there becomes a time when in your business, you just you need to get help. And they both have huge teams of people to help them and to do social media for them. It, it looks like they're a one man show, but you, you peek behind the curtain, and um, they're not doing all this alone. So what we should do as entrepreneurs is do what we love and what we're uniquely qualified to do. I'm uniquely qualified to talk about trademark law and to write about trademark law. I can't I can't 
offload that to another member of my team. I have to do that. But, you know, members of my team can do things like uh, set up my social media posting and, um, you know, handle customer service issues when people have returns or questions or can't access the website. You know, there's all kinds of things that go on. So it's important to have a team. And I think people assume that, that they're doing this all on their own. They're not. They're just the front facing. So they're the hostess, you know, the back of the house, the kitchen, there's all kinds of people working in the kitchen, but there's the forward facing public public uh, image of the company and that's them. They're monetizing, they're, they've branded themselves, right? Um, so that's what people see. They don't see the wizardry and the technology that goes into running the show behind the scenes. I appreciated how you explicated that, Angela, because it does look like these people, or at least Brendan, is running his own one-man show and making it look like he's got it all covered. And and I think that's brilliant. He's got a brand. He's put it out there, and it's recognizable. It works. So it's just good to know that they they do have help and that they're not doing it all by themselves. Otherwise, I was really going to wonder, what am I doing with my day? Well, you know, I think think entrepreneurs – I think they sort of idealize these public figures who are very successful and they wonder, you know, how do they do it all? And I think sometimes the public figures themselves perpetrate this notion that, um, oh, I'm just doing everything myself. Like Gary Vee. I love Gary Vee. I'm not criticizing him at all, but he makes it look like he's doing all this stuff. And he does do a lot of stuff, but I can guarantee you he's got a whole team behind the scenes doing all this stuff, right? Um, He's not posting to his social media accounts. He's got a team for that. So he may be walking down the street with the the camera phone in his face, you know, recording whatever is his message for the day. And that's fine. But he's not the one doing the work behind the scenes of uploading it to social media or editing it or putting in the intro or, or anything else. So I think people need to be aware that just because you only see the front of the house doesn't mean there's not a whole bunch of other stuff going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Don't think you have to do it all alone. So great. So great. All right. We're almost to the end of this already here, Angela. It goes so fast. And I, I like to give my guests the last word, if you will. So you know that this is a show that's being listened to across the globe, and it's about helping them create more meaningful and productive work lives, more meaning and fulfillment in their lives. And so To that end, what would you like to leave them with and say about one minute? I want everybody to understand that we all get to choose what sort of work we do. And you can say, oh, I have, um, you know, obligations and I can't just quit and I can't just do that and I can't just do that. Well, those are just excuses. And I, you know, I'm going to employ a little tough love here. Um, You get to choose what kind of life you have and you get to choose what kind of work experience you have. And if you're not finding meaning in your work right now, then think about some ways that you could change that. Ask yourself how could I not I wish I could how could I make a change could I spend a little time after work a couple hours a day working on a business that I feel fulfilled about so that I can quit my crappy job that I don't like but everybody needs to take responsibility for how they're living their life because we only get one Here, here, sister, here, here. Oh, my goodness. On a million levels. Muito obrigada. Muchas gracias. Thank you, Angela, for being on the show today and sharing your, your passion and your intellect. Oh, thank you for having me, Elise. I really enjoyed our, our talk today. 
Me too. So glad our paths crossed. And that's why getting out there in the world works, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Angela Langlotz and the work she is doing to help entrepreneurs protect and monetize their ideas, visit her website. It's trademarkdoctor.net. One more time, trademarkdoctor.net. And join us next week when we talk with J.G. Bocella about his movement and the work he is doing. He's the author of Bring Your Strengths, The Imitation Men Have Been Waiting For. Now, this is a a new leadership paradigm that supports women leaders and the hidden demographic of men in leadership positions who are ready to actively support these women in their leadership roles. Should be an interesting conversation. See you there. Remember, that works at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>